0: Like, to put it short, it's like I don't have to try to inspire people anymore, really. I just am being, I'm just not afraid to be myself because I have confidence that the, the man that this journey has created is genuine, is real, is raw, and that's what you're gonna get. Um, and so that's easy because, like, this is who I am.
1: This week on The Craigus Podcast, we were joined by Ricky Mena. And if you don't know Ricky, he is an amazing human being. He had a vision or a dream one night, and he's been helping sick children all around the world and inspiring them as they go through tough moments in their life or end of life. And honestly, Berman, I was holding back tears from reading his stories during this one.
2: Yeah, Ricky is not only real, but he's like a real superhero. I mean, he dresses up as Spider-Man and um, and goes around the country seeing things front and center. That would be really hard for just about anybody, but on the other side he gets to bring a little light to kids coping with cancer, or terminal uh, Ill- illnesses, and their families. And and on the real side, like I said, is he's such a cool guy and uh, it's funny he was talking about like It's hard to live life now without like a real meaning because like everything he does is purpose-centered and it's not in like the lame, like, oh, find your purpose. Like he lives in, like he wants to be part of that. He wants to be fulfilled and you can feel it in that fulfillment.
1: Well, I think seeing what he has seen by doing this really puts things in context. And so you understand how precious life is and that it can be really short, right? And so some of us are just not as lucky as others. So very meaningful, powerful story from him. And also the fact that, you know, he he had to deal with post-traumatic stress disorder going through this. And so I I think there's some learning moments in here too, just on what that was like for him. And this will kind of put things in in perspective for all of us.
2: I would say, brace yourself for this one, but don't shy away from it. I think it's important that we all kind of hear and and learn the lessons that Ricky's going through. I am so excited for our episode today because we got a guy here that, in my opinion, is like the living, breathing definition of courage. And Ricky Mena, you and I met, gosh, what, five, six years ago now?
0: It probably was more like a... Almost four, I think, because we met, we met at the, uh, that conference, right? Or was human, it?
2: Human gathering.
0: Yeah. So I think it was, yeah, it might have been five. It might have been five. I mean, time just flies, so I don't know. I lost track.
2: Well, let me, you know, just to paint the picture of how you were introduced to me, we, we had the opportunity to go to this, like, 100-person gathering, hence the human gathering, and um, out walks onto stage Spider-Man. <laughs> and, you know, you know, and Spider-Man's coming after like some CEO executive that's running some 15,000 person company. And then Spider-Man shows up and I'm like, oh, <laughs> here comes Spider-Man. Yeah. And then we very quickly learned your a little bit about your story and how, I mean, honestly, Ricky, I get choked up thinking about the fact that you spend, commit your life to going around the country Meeting with kids who are coping with cancer and their families, and if I'm getting it wrong, correct me. But um, that's, and that's you, right. And you've been, you have now been doing this for how long?
0: Uh, this August will be six
2: years. Um, for those of you who are listening, by the way, he's wearing an Oakland A's jersey because it's opening day.
0: <laughs> yeah. How
2: are they going to How they going to do this year?
0: I mean. I don't know. It's a short season. I mean, if if let me say this, this is our chance because <laughs> there's 60 games. So if we could just go on a good hot streak, I think we'll be all right.
2: Yeah, I, I used to be an Orioles fan. I gave those dreams up a long, a long, long time ago. And now I'm going with the Padres since we uh, Ryan and I both
1: live in San Diego.
0: Oh, there you go. It's
1: about time, Berman. <laughs>
2: I'm I'm on I'm on the bandwagon. I can't quit my Washington football. Club team, whatever we're going to be called, but that's a <laughs> the a, Washington football team. It's so sad. Well, well that's another show altogether. But um, Ricky, again, when we talk about courage, I just I just can't think of a, a, a more like a a tandem of courage than children going through cancer, and then your commitment to walk into their lives and to try and cheer them up. How did you get started? And just talk us a little through your journey.
0: Yeah. um, My start with this journey was random, um, was not planned, you know. Um, I just – I moved back from Philadelphia after failed love and came back to the Bay Area where I'm originally from. And so my friends called me and said, hey, you can sleep on the couch if you want, get back on your feet. And I said, Cool. You know, this was the first time in my life that I was like, actually had no kind of like, I didn't know what I was going to do. And so I was like, man, all right, so let me get myself together. So I really got into fitness around that time. Um, I'm 37 now. So that was like, I was about to turn 30 at that time. So we're talking, you know, uh, seven years ago, almost eight years ago. And, um, so, I was just, you know, started doing the fitness thing myself. Then I got so into it that I wanted to train other people. So that's what I started doing. Got a job fairly quickly at a boot camp gym for like all women. And I was just doing my thing. And I started making some money, get back on my feet. And then one night came home and fell asleep on that couch that my friends were like basically lending to me. And I had a dream uh, that my grandmother who had passed away a few months prior to that, um and she basically came, came to me put her arm around me walked me to this movie projector turned it on and this movie shot in the sky of spider-man visiting kids in the hospital by the thousands and then um in the dream I just remember asking like you know what does this have to do with me and uh she told me that was me and then when I when I woke up I was to do everything I could to do that and so I kind of woke up from that dream and it was interesting cause like my friends were at work their, you know, their daughter was at school. I'm there by myself on this couch, like with barely any money in my pocket. The only thing I owned was a Chrysler 300 at the time that I had paid off, you know, years prior. And I just was thinking to myself, like, you know, that felt so real. And, uh, like my grandmother's presence, And so uh, I remember getting up and kind of stretching, looking out the window and thinking to myself, well, if I sell my car, then I would probably have money to buy a Spider-Man suit. Um, But I had to run it by my friends who were basically feeding me, you know, (laughs) and it was a crazy idea. um, Because at that time, people have to understand, like at that time, when when my friends came home and I proposed this idea of being Spider-Man, it was very simple. I want to just visit a few kids. Um, and buy a suit. I want to look as real as possible. But like, it was just I'm gonna visit a few kids. It was never like, hey guys, I want to start a nonprofit. I want to go visit thousands of the kids. I want this to be my life story. That you know, it was it was not that. It was like this, just this feeling that I had to knock out these one or two visits to do that. And and um, you know, my friends, man, thank God for them because they looked at me instead of looking at me crazy. They were like, well. You'd be crazy not to, because there's only one person in this world we know that could do something like that, and it's you. And um, so I sold my car, man, and then uh, <laughs> I sold my car like two days later um, for like you know something ridiculous, man. I bought that car, you know, when it was brand new for like I don't know forty grand, something forty two. I sold it for like I want to say like twelve something stupid, and then um, I bought the suit. Uh, the my first suit was. You know, it was pretty expensive. Um, It was well over a grand. And then I bought like a small pile of toys, like like little dollar toys that I could maybe give to kids. And um, yeah, and I I decided to visit um, special needs kids first because, you know, I wanted to see how it was being in the suit and like see if I was even good at, you know, um, being Spider-Man or like being of like a therapeutic type of, um, presence in these children's lives, so that that's essentially where it started. It was super simple. Came from a dream, man. Honestly, like a literal dream. What What's it like? Like, how do
1: you go about that first visit with the kids? What What was that like for you?
0: Um, well, if you want to hear a funny story that I haven't really told anyone, uh, the first time I actually so I got my suit. and So when I ordered it, it took like two months to get. So by the time it came in, because it's, like, custom fitted to my body, you know, and all that. So I get it, and uh, I was so excited to try it on. There's a note inside the box that said, do not put on by yourself. Like, you need help doing it. So I was, like, my first I watched on. the video of you getting it on. It's
1: pretty yeah,
0: complicated. So, yeah, well, you saw the video. That was, like, my first suit that you probably saw on YouTube and everything. So I put the suit on, like, not – I've never read instructions, whether it was video games or putting bikes together. I just literally right now put a bike, a mountain bike together before we got on this and I didn't read one instruction. Um, so that's where I'm at. And so I put, I, I was like, I'm putting this on and I got the zippers. I was like, you know, folding myself in weird positions. And so I finally get it on. and I was so excited. You know, I looked at myself in the mirror and the first feeling was, whoa, you know, I look like him. Like, I looked like it was so movie quality, I couldn't believe it. And my, my fitness level was right where it needed to be, all that. So then I was like, cool, let me take a picture. So I pick up my phone, and that was the first time I realized on a touchscreen the gloves don't work, right? <laughs> so I'm trying to take the picture. Nothing, I, 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 like, get one off. It's blurry. And I'm like, well, let me get the suit off. I'll put it back on when my friends come home. I was stuck in the suit For an hour. For an hour panicked um if there was any time where i felt claustrophobic ever it was, it was it was that hour it was like torture and i thought to myself wow like my grandmother was trying to you know came to me in a dream trying to kill me uh basically but that was that was the first time i ever got in the suit so it's not it's not really a glamorous uh, experience but um
2: by the way nothing says superhero like i can't escape my own suit
0: yeah. And, it, and what's funny is like, if you watch like any super, like especially Spider-Man, you know what I mean? Like when Tobey Maguire, you know, the first Spider-Man came out and he was like really goofy, right? It was like, he was trying to learn how to shoot webs. He did this, you know, he didn't understand what was going on. He crashed into the wall. That was totally me. Like with no cameras, no nothing, just crashing, you know, stuck in the suit. I'm panicking. I was panicking. I was ready to, I was ready to rip this, you know, $1,500 suit off of me, uh, and call it a day. But, um, my goddaughter, she, at that time she was in a, um, like dance studio doing her dance school stuff. And she was like, I think five at the time, six. And so Um, In her class, they would teach special needs kids how to dance and do these recreational activities and, you know, build these like bonds and friendships and teamwork and all that. So I knew that. And I said, hey, like I I reached out and said, hey, I got the Spider-Man suit. Like, is it cool if I do this? So the first time I actually visited any children were in her dance class in our empty garage. That was the first time. And it was just like, let me see what it feels like. And honestly, the first time I ever visited any kids. It was like, it wasn't a great experience, to be honest. I mean, the kids loved it, but for me, I couldn't see. There was no, um, I didn't figure out that you need to put like a Rain-X behind the lenses to keep them from fogging up and everything. So I was blind the whole time. Um, But the first visit was really me trying to find my way. Um, Like, do I stand as Spider-Man? Do I, you know, position myself? And and I had my friends film it. So, um, and I never posted those videos. I, I just kind of like um, studied myself. And then I would watch the movies and I read the comic books and, and all that. And I wanted to see like Spider-Man's mannerisms to be as close as I could, um, to be as convincing as I could without saying a word, you know, because of the way I stand or because of the way I'm, you know, crouching or whatever the case may be. So um, it was definitely a learning experience that first time. It was It was crazy it's
1: an awesome story I, I, I want to go back
0: to to your childhood
1: and your upbringing I, I heard your mom was a pretty big influence in your life is that right?
0: yeah, she still is yeah
1: can you tell us just a little bit about growing up and how you became the person you are today?
0: yeah I, I had a really good solid like upbringing you know I had a mom and dad that both really cared about me they had a solid marriage for twenty four years and you know, they're divorced now. That was more recent That when I was an adult. But, like, when I was a kid, like, you know, my, my father was in the military, super disciplined. My dad really instilled in me creating goals, following through, being a man of your word, respect others. Like, I mean, this was driven This was driven home with me, you know, with my father. Um, and, and it helped that he was not just in the military, but he's, he's a full-blooded, you know, Mexican. So it's like in our culture – I mean, respect is a big thing, you know, and so respect your elders and all that. So I grew up with that. And then my mom, she really like gave me more of like the the sensitive, like it's okay to talk about your feelings. It's okay to cry if you're a man, you know, type of thing. And my dad, you know, he, he reinforced like my, my father was great on that end too. He just didn't really talk about that much. But like whenever I feel like I wanted to cry, my dad was like, if you feel like it, just do it. You know, no one's going to. You know, you got to get it out, get it out. And so I had really good parents in that aspect. But growing up, my mom, you know, from my earliest memory, you know, I'm 37 now. It's harder to remember when you're younger as the older you get, you know. So my youngest memory actually isn't really a great one. It's just my mom being sick all the time. And so um, I grew up taking care of my mom. Uh, My dad worked two, sometimes three jobs to keep everything going for us. And um, my mom, she worked part-time, and sometimes she tried to work full-time at Kaiser whenever she could, but her her health, like, really, like, affected her ability to go out and, like, enjoy her life or even, like, make money. And so I saw that growing up, like, every day, every single day. Um, I used to get woken up every single night. My mom's bathroom was on the other side of my bedroom uh, wall, and she used to, you know, I used to wake up to her throwing up every night. And that's a hard thing to deal with because, like, when you're a kid and you just think, oh, this is life. But you start questioning when you get older, like, why my mom, you know? And then when I started getting older, uh, especially in my teens, my father put more responsibility on me to, like, get my license, take my mom to the appointments. She couldn't drive herself because she was getting treatments. And so I took over there. I was a big brother to my sister, you know, so I took more of, like, a leadership role in the house. And, um, but I've always been a caregiver to my mom. Like, even to this day, you guys, like, um, and not to really like try to put her business out there, but we just moved to this beautiful place in Colfax. We, we uh, changed our business location because I just needed peace of mind and heart of a hero, needed a place where it could kind of expand and stuff. And we needed a little more room. And so we have an extra room here. And to, still to this day, I'm, you know, calling my mom, like, Mom, please come here. Like, come. And so that's always been at the center of who I am. I'm a mama's boy. Um, you know, and so she just, um, you know, watching her go through all the things that she goes through, but still fight to go to work. She never really made no excuses. And um, she fights to go to work to this day. She's, she, she fights to get up and enjoy her life the best she can. She has a lot of chronic illnesses that aren't going to go away. So, um, you know, and she just had a cancer scare, but thank goodness she, she, um, it came back negative for that. Um, but yeah, man, it's just been, and it's kind of interesting how like I grew up with that. And to be honest, I hated hospitals because of that. Like when I became an adult and my mom and dad, you know, got divorced and then my mom met someone else, my dad met someone else. It was like, cool. My mom has someone to take care of her. You know, I didn't really have to be around as much. And so, um, but she'd get you know i'd go visit her in the hospital and to be honest before i was even spider-man i hated it i like because i spent my whole life there and so um i think it's interesting that i'm doing what i'm doing now because i feel really comfortable (laughs) i feel really comfortable now in like the most troubling settings um in the hospital like as spider-man like specifically in the suit and so i don't know i just think it was all meant to be you know
2: There's like a famous proverb that fear and courage are brothers that you actually can't get to the courageous choice without first addressing your fear. And you had to hear you say like hospitals was not your thing. I don't think hospitals is anybody's thing unless you're a doctor, (laughs) but now, I mean, how how many kids do you think you've gone and visited? Do you keep track of like, do you have your stats on all this?
0: Yeah. So uh, I, I misspoke earlier. I said, August would be six years. Actually, early October will be six years. Um, but we've seen and COVID-19 kind of slowed us down this last year. Uh, usually we see anywhere between like three to, it just depends, three to 6,000 kids a year it just depends. Like, um, but we've seen over 12,000 kids in almost six years. And that's from California to as far as London. Uh, so, you know, we see quite a few kids. Um, there's a lot of like, and you know, you. Um, for anyone who hasn't watched the journey, it's like, it's crazy. Like every day is different. It's like some days I'm visiting one child at their home or one child at the hospital who's at the end of life or in a hospice care uh, situation. Or I go visit a special needs classroom or classrooms and you visit like, you know, 30 kids in one day, you know, or you go to a hospital, which is like, when we go to hospitals, we see about 30 to 40 kids and we spend about five hours there and I go room to room and spend time with each and every child, their siblings, everything. We make sure we take time. Um, But every day is different. Um, Every year is different as far as like the number of kids we see. Um, I try not to get too fixated on the numbers, even though like our investors and sponsors want to know that kind of information. I hate that stuff because like, to me, it's like you're, to me. It's like you know when I say that for me as the CEO or the guy who is Spider Man. It's like oh, we've seen over twelve thousand kids. That's cool because it says what we've done in our in our determination and what we're doing in our mission. But it kind of takes away like the um, how special that one is because you know it, you know as a father you know Ryan you know that your child is one in a million to you, and so I don't ever want any. Um, Parents to ever see me speak or even see me in person to ever feel like okay he's at a level now where it's kind of like it got so big that it's just he's just visiting another person and he doesn't remember he won't remember us and this is not this is just he's going through the motions it's not that at all you know do you, so, ever,
2: do you ever get um like scared like when you're putting on a mask you're putting on your mask and you're meeting a child or a family for the first time and you don't know what you're walking into does it Do you get, like, nervous for that?
0: Hell, yeah. I get nervous. I get nervous before every time I put the suit on, whether it's before I put it on for the hospital visits or a one-on-one visit. I'm getting dressed in the back of the van, you know. Um, I get nervous every time. And I always told myself and I told my wife, too, because um, I had a different journey that kind of read jump-started like three years ago when I was diagnosed with PTSD and, and like a nervousness turned to anxiousness and it, and it became different. But I told my wife the day that I'm not nervous, the day that I'm not like feeling like, um, you know, my blood's flowing before I get this going or that I'm a little worried. Like I, I that's the day that I need to stop because to me, the nervous uh, in translation, that's that I care. Like I care about how this visit goes. I want it to be good for the children. I want it to be um, good for the parents. I want everyone to have the best time possible, you know, in in that moment. Because, like, you know, we're walking into situations to take you away from what you're experiencing. Uh, Some things that you and I, and even though I've been there, like, I've been there thousands of times at the worst case scenario, right? But I'll still never pretend to know what it's like from a parent's shoes. I will never, I won't pretend to say that. And so um, I just go in every time like it's the first time, honestly, because it is, and every situation is so unique because every person is, and every how every person's reaction is, every kid's reaction is. So, you know, there is some kind of like confidence that I do have in my own ability because of all the times we've done visits, and I take some of that with me. But it's good to feel nervous because it keeps you on your toes. You know, I definitely feel I definitely feel nervous um, still, and. And to be honest, you know, because of COVID-19, we haven't, I haven't been suited up in person for a child in over like a hundred and I think like something like 130 days now. Um, So I'm, (laughs) I'm going to be nervous when we get back to it in person, you know, so, um, but yeah. I'm
1: curious, Ricky, you know, obviously it has a huge impact on the kids and you talk about their imagination and, and how cool of an experience that can be, but What do the parents say to you? I mean, that has to be pretty special too. Have you stayed in contact with any of the families after?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of families. I mean, I think just by nature, you know, like I said, 12,000 kids, is a lot. Right. And so there's a lot of families. There's a lot of families that don't, that they they choose not to keep contact anymore. I'll send messages, you know, and the thing is, is like when children are going through their battle throughout their journey, we're always in contact but sometimes children pass away right and sometimes parents just want to let go and to be honest this this part hurts me a lot like so there there's a um there's a girl that like I was known for visiting her name was Zamora Moon and I became family with her family and this was like one of the closest I've ever got to any families or children or anything like that and uh I mean the me and the mom call each other brother and sister to this day, but there was a moment after I want to say a year after the, her daughter passed away. Um, and I was going through my own thing. I was going through PTSD cause I was there holding her hand when she died. And, um, so I was going through my own stuff and I needed to get through it. But I, I text on one given night, her mom texted me and said, I haven't talked to her in a while. You know, it was like a year since we or like a couple of months since we spoke a year after her daughter passed. And I said, uh, I asked her the question. I said, Hey, can I ask you a real question? And she goes, sure. And I said, cause I was trying to hang out with her. I was like, Hey, can you know, I want you to meet my wife. I want you to like, let's link up. And she's, I said, you've been kind of dodging me. I'm like, are you dodging me because it's hard to see my face? Cause I remind you of your daughter. And she said, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so for some families, you know, as special as it is for me as spider-man or me as the man i am to walk in their lives at that troubling time i'm also a reminder of that too i think sometimes and so sometimes families choose to uh you know keep me at a distance you know keep me on facebook keep me on instagram and stuff like that and that's totally fine i support people uh parents in in any capacity but there's families man who have kids who've also beat cancer and and stuff and, and have like um there's some children that I met who were literally on their deathbed doctors saying they're gonna pass away and I went there to have that last conversation with them and they're still here to this day and that was like four years ago and so and we we talk and we and there's been kids that I visited who when they were 15 years old and now they're um, 20 and I, they, I bumped into him at the gym you know what I'm saying I'm That's there awesome. like you're Spider-Man you came That's to visit crazy. me and I'm like whoa and so you know after six years it's crazy because the dynamic is like I visited you know some kids when they were 15 or 14 now the five years later six years later they're adults like and it's just crazy because they message me and they go hey thank you like dude like everything you did for me and so we try our best to keep in contact, but we never force it, you know. Um, I message everyone back. Like I'm notorious for that. My wife says, "Ricky, you gotta, you gotta stop messaging everybody back." You know what I mean? And I'm like, I can't stop, you know, because I just care about everybody so much. You know what I mean? And so um, I try to keep in contact with everyone. It's really hard though, um, but you know, there's just naturally there's some families that you that stick, you know, and um, mm-hmm. we. We have those, like, we, like just yesterday I posted on a Heart of a Hero, we got a, a photo and a letter, you know, from a family um, for a little boy named Zane, and Zane the Brave, you know, and he's battling, he's the cutest kid ever. I haven't met him, I did a video chat with him because of COVID-19. But he's got, you know, his mom and dad sent me a picture of him and his little siblings together, and he's got, he loves Spider-Man, he sent me all these pictures, and then we put it on our fridge, you know. And so we're part of these, we're, we're family, you know, and it's really cool. I I love it. I love it so much. So Ricky, you talked a little bit just about like your anxiousness and
1: nervousness, getting the suit on, but a lot of people don't really want to face this fear related to death, related to sickness. I mean, going into hospitals, like you said, how did you get over that the first time? And it has to be hard. I, I can only imagine, you know, going in there and being in these really difficult situations with family. I mean, it's not like something everyone signs up for, you know, how, how did you face that? How do you face that? What are, what are things that you do to kind of mentally prepare for that?
0: Um, to be honest, the first three years, um, well, the first, the, I, I was visiting kids and it, it kind of ramped up. You got to understand. I started visiting kids who were like, Uh, special needs and then I really just followed the flow where this commission wanted to take me meaning I was visiting special needs kids then parents you know when parents start talking especially in the medical community it's like that's that's the biggest advocates you need right there basically and so they were like wow this guy's amazing with our kids like what and so wow he got my autistic child who's afraid of a mask to wear one you know like this is crazy and so and so I just really and so that next thing you know, I was visiting kids who were battling cancer and it got more serious. And then then came the day I made my first visit. Um, I got a call and it was like, hey, you know, from a family friend who was making calls on behalf of the family saying, hey, there's this kid named Charlie. He has cancer. It's a brain tumor. It's terminal. There's no saving him. He has like eight months from today to, to live are you down to me, are you down to be Spider-Man for him?" She called like four other Spider-Man, she didn't feel comfortable with them, talked to me and was like, it's you. And so I was like, yeah. And so I never thought like, I would be in that position. So that, I I want people to hearing this who wanna follow the same path to know like, I think it's important to like, gradually kinda, you know, don't just jump into, hey, I gotta go visit, you know, dying children, because that's what my Instagram wants to see. You know what I mean? Or, you know what I mean? Or you're looking for some kind of badge of like this honor thing. Um, So I worked my way up to that point. And even with that being said, I I wasn't there when Charlie passed away. Um, I was there at his funeral. And that was the first time I saw like a nine-year-old child in a box. And I was like super friends with this kid. I even did a song for him cause I used to be a musician, but um, I, I was like, I couldn't even walk up to his casket. I really couldn't cause I was like, this is so unnatural to me. Been to a lot of funerals prior to that for adults, for old people, you know, for people who lived out their lives. And then I just, for me, when I first saw a child in the box, I just imagined like all the dreams and their wants and their goals. He never got to drink his first beer. He never got to shave. He never. His dad's not going to teach him about go. You know, respecting women and going on dates and whatever. And so that kind of all hit me. But in that moment, a year into my mission, it was like I. I at that time I drew more inspiration from the fact that Charlie had so much courage at the end of his life. He wasn't scared. So I used that um, to say, you know what. I'm going to put on his wristband and I'm going to wear this. I'm going to walk t- towards more children because of him. And so I did. And then, and then everything was crazy, man. Like everything started going crazy. Uh, Ryan, that's why I met you. I got invited to that because like these influencers and these people who were, you know, see me on Instagram and, and Facebook started seeing the mission and and I was starting to get places I never thought I'd be uh, as far as with the children or even just the media stuff. And it was like everything was coming so fast. And then right after the time that you and I met, Ryan, um, that's when I held Zamora. I was in the room when she passed away holding her hand. And then two weeks after that, I held an 18-year-old young man who was my best friend who I revered as a brother because we knew each other for about three years before he passed. Um, I held him in my arms, like literally looking at him, coached him through death two weeks after her. So it wasn't until – I was in the room with the child who passed away. It wasn't until I held the child. It wasn't until I looked at my friend, Daryl, the 18 year old who passed away in my arms and I was hyper focused on his eyes as he passed away. So he was less afraid. Um, It wasn't until then that I really like my brain registered um, and like really faced the reality of our own mortality um mainly specifically being my own mortality and i think that at that moment as far as like that was the cherry on top because i was seeing all these kids hurt for all these years all these kids were hurting you know you see all these kids hooked up to tubes that's one thing then for kids to die and you go to their funeral that's another thing but then when you're holding children when they pass away and you're watching life leave um it's not a movie you know it's not a movie. And in that moment, you realize that this is, this is like, you just face your own mortality without the veil in that moment. And it is the scariest thing. It's the scariest thing I've ever been through. It's like, um, I
2: have a thousand questions. You know, like, are, I, would die, I would die a little bit. Um, but then on the other side, if somebody's in pain, do you feel that pain go away? do you feel the child's pain go away in that moment?
0: So was Zamora. um, it's just different with every person, you know, and, um, was Zamora when I was there holding her hand, um, she was a nine year old little girl that over time became paralyzed because of the tumor, putting pressure on this central nervous system of her body and her brain. And so she, um, by the time she got to the point where she was dying it's like she already spent like 2 years with you know no movement and her life slowly got taken away from her so at that moment when she passed away uh, I was in the room her mom was in the room like one of her family members from Spain flew in from Spain was there her dad was uh there there was like a bunch of there was some people in there and so it was like i don't know like 1 in the morning or something like that and so we were all there and and um we were just coaching her through. It's like, it's okay. Her mom was holding her and her dad was holding her and I was holding her hand. And they were saying, you know, go ahead, Ricky, you could say something. And I was talking to her and I was praying for her. And then as she passed away, right. You never know what it's going to be like. Cause I'm, I'm waiting for mom and dad to react. Like, you know, it's like, ah, you know, you're going to see this, like this burst of like, I can't believe it. Right. But, and that happens sometimes, but with, with their, with her parents, It was, and everyone in the room, it was like, I felt it. I didn't say anything. I didn't want to, because I didn't want to be disrespectful at first. But, like, I felt this, like, peace, like, pass through me. And I kind of looked at everybody, and and we all looked at each other. And she was gone for, like, five minutes at this point. And we all just sat in silence for, like, five minutes. And then we looked at each other. And then Zamora's own mother said, do you feel that? And I was like, Mm -hmm. the peace? And she goes, yeah. And then I say, yeah. And it's like, her mom's not okay with her nine-year-old dying. Believe me. You know what I'm saying? But in that moment, it was like, man, it was like, I don't know. It's hard to explain. Like you feel like it for her at that moment, it was like, she passed through it. She let everybody in that room know, look, the burden is lifted off of all you guys. Cause her mom like flew all the way to London and, relocated the other sister her little you know Zamora's little sister had to go to school in london on the metric system like this is like you know what i mean like this her whole lives were turned upside down and so um this burden was just like lifted off of everyone and i remember driving home uh, she passed away like around one. And then I helped her dad like clean her body. Like I did a lot more than I should have probably done. I helped her dad clean her body and the corners came. I helped him load her up and all that stuff. And it was about 6 a.m., 7 a.m. when I was driving home back across the, uh, the, the bridge back to like Oakland and to go back across the bridge. And I remember the sun coming up. And one of my favorite songs, like, comes on. And I remember driving across the bridge with the windows down on a crisp, like, morning and feeling for the first time in a long time, like freedom, like myself. And I, and I felt so, like, just liberated that she was no longer, even though it's the way we did, we didn't want it to happen this way. It was like everyone kind of felt this sense of, like, liberation for her, like, freedom. She's out there somewhere. We believe that. And she's free from this cage that was her body and this life. And then um, there's those situations. And then there's ones like Daryl two weeks later where he literally, one of some of the last things he said was he was cussing. He was cussing. He was cussing. He's pissed off that he was 18 years old. Uh, He was supposed to go to the NFL. You know, he's being scouted. Um, Leukemia, his bone marrow transplant didn't take – because uh, he didn't really have a good enough match. Um, not a lot of people know this, but like if you're African American or if you're of mixed um, ethnicity, you literally have like a, I think it's something like a six percent like uh, pool to pull from when it comes to your uh, your bone marrow like matches and stuff. So his mom was only like a three like a three on the match scale out of like five or six or something and it wasn't great. So he didn't really have a good chance, you know, and when it came back, it was pretty much a death sentence. And, um, but he was pissed at the end of his life and that was what was hard about his. And I think that affected me more than like anything. Cause I was right there. Like I said, I mean, I was, I was close to him as I as closer than I am to this camera right now in that moment and looking at my friend and my brother in his eyes, um, the same man I was praying with that we we're praying for a miracle with And we both believed, you know, and he just was like, <laughs> I mean, his last words, like, you know, before going silent, before he couldn't talk was like, he was cussing. He was, he was just pissed, man. And, and I don't blame him. Um, but that bothered me. And another thing that bothered me is like the look in his eyes at the end. I kind of felt like I saw the fear and um, you know, we're all just human beings. Like all of us, we're all men here. Right. But, I think that it's not being, like, less manly to, like, admit, like, because we don't know what's on the other side in that moment for us, which is coming, we can't, like, avoid that. It is, like, that shit scared me, um, and he was at that moment. And to witness that, I walked away from that with a little bit tougher time, and it was about probably about a month after that that I started experiencing things that I, at first I thought were physical, because uh, all my symptoms were physical. I felt like I had the flu. I was like out of it. Uh, I was almost passing out like I was malnourished or something. And then I finally found out through going, getting blood work done. And my doctor p- put his hand on my shoulder and said, this is not physical. This is, this is mental. You got to take care of yourself. You haven't done anything for you since you've seen all these kids. Like, dude, you've, you just held two kids as they passed away. You got to do something for you. And, uh, and, man, I had to. At that time, I, that's, that's when I started fighting for myself, you know. It was, like, right after you and I met, Ryan. It was, like, right after that. I,
2: I, I got to tell you, like, the two stories that you shared, though, you have one room. I mean, you're never fully at peace, so I, 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 I understand that. But, like, one room felt liberated and one wasn't, like, clearly like didn't come to grips with that reality and so for you do you fear death now or because you see it so close you are at peace with that part of it
0: i think that we as human beings okay (laughs) i can get super deep on this topic and super like philosophical and and really like because i think about this daily like because of what i do human beings in life, like just just before I even did Spider-Man, I look back and I think to myself, majority of us, we go, we have movie theaters. We have like, movie, you can rent movies at home. There's restaurants. We entertain these relationships. Everything we do in life is sort of like entertaining ourselves, right? It's like, let's go to a show. Let's do this. Let me buy a motorcycle. Let me get a car. because And it's like, we don't realize as we're doing all this, we're just kind of like, subconsciously taking our mind off of the fact that you know that we're entertaining ourselves until like till that day comes basically and yeah you want to enjoy it. we're trying to enjoy life we, we tie it into that but it wasn't until that I like I like I said I've been to funerals all that but it wasn't until I watched like Zamora Pass and then Daryl more specifically Daryl uh that I I fear I feared death for for a while and that's kind of like what seeing my own mortality in the reflection of his eyes and what he was going through really made me realize and look back at the rest of my life and go wow I've just been entertaining myself this whole time like just you know time has just been passing like we you know I'm 37 now and it's like it just blows my mind and and um but now like it was so in my face with no veil no smoke screen, nothing that um I just, yeah, I feared it. I feared it. And that was part of my, what I had to overcome in my PTSD, my anxiety, my depression was latching on in the beginning when I first started feeling that was I was so afraid to die. I was so afraid to die because I saw it and I was like the, the closest seat that you could have to it in a child or a young man. It's like, uh, you know at that moment, like, okay, there's a nine-year-old that just passed, and there's an 18-year-old that just passed, and here I am older than both of them. It's like, we're not guaranteed anything, you know. Uh, We can go to the doctor tomorrow, and God God forbid, but, you know, they could tell us some bad news and change our whole – change everything. And so – For a long time, and I think for a majority of us, we kind of look at other people's stories, especially now like social media. We're like, dang, that's messed up. So-and-so was 35 and he had a major heart attack. And that's crazy. He's gone. Like, wow, that's crazy. And then we kind of go back to entertaining ourselves again. And it's like, we kind of get submerged in our own lives. For me, it's like, I entertain myself now, not to like, just subconsciously float through life until I get to the moment where I have to face my own death because I'm forced to. I entertain myself now uh, as a form of therapy. It's It more has like a purpose now. You know, like if I'm – I just bought a motorcycle, you know what I mean? And so I'm up here riding with my ape hangers and feeling like – ah, you know, this is, this is for me, you know, and it's, it's less like, oh, I want to look cool on my bike and all this, you know, it's like, man, I've been through a lot. I'm going to ride this bike. I'm going to feel this wind while I can, because it feels good. And I love life. Um, And so I think that, you know, me overcoming, like, And PTSD and mental illness is an ongoing thing, you guys. Like, anyone out there watching, it's like my first, the problem I had when I first started facing this and realizing that I had PTSD, I cried the first time my therapist told me, This is something that you're probably going to have to manage. You're never going to, like, just ultimately, like, just, it'll be gone one day. I cried because I was like, What? It's like you're living with a broken leg now. That's what it felt like. And so. But, you know, anyways, I had to overcome like that fear of death. That was the main thing that I was like my brain was latching onto, And it was weird because in that month that I took off being Spider-Man, it's so crazy because I was this courageous person. But when I saw St. Jude's stuff on TV and the kids who were battling cancer, I was like honestly at home and by myself almost passing out watching those commercials because I was triggered by the, th- by the same thing I was passionate about all of a sudden. Um, That day you saw me, Ryan, up there speaking to the crowd full of people. It was like you saw the version of me that was totally opposite than the version of me I became like Mm -hmm. three or four months later because when PTSD hit, social anxiety set in like I've never felt before and I couldn't even – I'm still trying to get up in front of crowds and speak. So um, I had to work through – I had to work through – it's, it's basically a lot of the therapy and, and, and like being afraid of death and things like that. It's like just accepting a, a lot of healing comes from the acceptance of like things that we cannot control. And um, that's like, you know, I think any like uh, notable um, philanthropist, you know, in history has kind of latched onto the same type of philosophy um, we can't stress over the people or things that we can't control, right? And so, that's what I let go of, and uh, I'm better now. I still have my days, you know, but uh, but I'm uh, I'm walking back into the lives of children again, and, and uh, I have done speeches in front of people and overcame all that. But it, but it's a little harder. I got to get back in the tank every time, you know what I mean? But but uh, it's worth it, you know. So
1: what, what else? What else have you learned? Like, if you think about when you first started this to where you are now, I mean, what what's changed you? What what What's changed in you?
0: Oh, man, like, shoot. I mean, what hasn't? You know, like, it's hard to, it's hard to exist in the world after like, okay, you can't not know what you've already been taught, right? It's like, once you know too much, <laughs> it's like, you can't. So it's, like, the hardest thing, the hardest thing, uh, what I had to learn and what I'm coping with every day is that when you you are enlightened on this, it's, and I don't want anybody to think I'm saying I'm better than anyone, but when you go through certain experiences, you, you kind of have this unique maybe perspective on life based on those experiences. So, like, when I became enlightened by all this journey, it is hard to – I used to try to wear two faces because I try to, you know, you're in the world with the kids, you know, it's this, it's this, um, you're, it's this emotional, like everything has a purpose. And then you go, you walk into our world, you get on Instagram or Facebook or you go to the grocery store and everyone's just living on the surface, man. Like everyone's kind of like, you know, what's most popular on social media is, is butt cheeks and, and whatever, you know what I mean? And, and just stupid, stupid stuff, on, you know, cause people, and I get it. I get it. Um, People just want to laugh. People don't want to think about the shit that, that, you know, that you're afraid of. I mean, the number one fear in the world is public speaking. Number two is death. So it's like, you don't want to think about either of those when you're on social media and you're scrolling through at the end of your day. I get that. Um, But for me, I don't have the ability to just be like, all right, well, let me just care about, you know, shit on the surface anymore. I can't. So, for me, it's like, it's always on, but I've had to learn how to like manage that depth to still be able to enjoy my life. And that journey in itself. I mean, when I first met my wife, I had like, uh, I was going through like my PTSD at its worst. And I met her I didn't think like in a million years that she would want to talk to me uh, because I felt like a weirdo because I couldn't be in public long enough where I felt like I was going to pass out and I need to run back to my car, you know, at this time um but like she you know i just we just i just worked hard at um i just worked hard at building my life outside of being spider-man and and combining the two really made me a better person um because in my previous life and i referred to it as my previous life uh like when i was a musician i was just like this person who really cared about like the car that i drove or like the status um I I call it like social media or like social currency, social currency. Mm -hmm. And it's like social currency, you guys already know. It's like it's the cool factor to the world. But really, when that cool guy turns off the fans and turns it off, he has no one in his life. He has nothing of actual value, no property, no like longevity to his actual like riches and wealth. And so, but yeah, I got the chain, I got the clothes, I got the fans, and everyone thinks I'm important. But it's like, I had to learn, like, through this journey to let all that go, because that's not real. And so, um, when I met the kids, it's kind of like, man, like, when you watch them go through what they're going through, it's kind of, like, hard to come home and listen to other people complain about, like, like stuff that, like, really, like, okay, you're talking about normal life shit, like, you know, like, <laughs> okay, you'll figure out how to pay that bill, okay? I, I just met a mom and dad who lost their child owes over a million dollars in, you know, medical bills for treatment that didn't work for their kid. And they're having to sell their house because of, it. you know what I'm saying? Um, so your problems aren't that bad. Let's, let, let's get through it. You know, let's not, let's not over, uh, dramatize these small fucking things in our lives, you know? And so that's what I learned, man. And it made me a better man. Uh, especially in my relationship with my wife, like, uh, god bless her because going through mental illness or being with someone who's going through it it's like she's so patient with me and um but she tells me all the time like wow like in the last even just last you know two and a half years we've been together she's like you're patient it's like you're way more patient um anyone that's used to know me when i was a musician to now they're like you're like a different person it's crazy because I'm not aggressive. Like, I used to be that guy who would like, oh, this person, this dude's looking at me funny? Oh, you know, that's not cool. I got to fight this guy. But it's like, you know, now I'm just like... It's a
2: 180.
0: Yeah, it's like, you know, it's kind of like, dude, I just gave up on giving a shit what the world thought, honestly, um, and really, like, started... And that's at the center of what we do, like, as an organization. There's been times where there's been, like, very reputable people, like, celebrities even, or corporations who contact me in Heart of a Hero and say, hey, we wanna do this because it's a PR thing. And it's like their whole explanation to me, it doesn't really feel like they care about the kids too much. And it's more about standing next to me just because I can get them into visiting kids. Cause I have that, It's you can't just call up and be like, hey, I wanna visit a kid who's at the end of their life so we could, you know, that's some bullshit. Like, and I don't, so I'll pass on the money I'll pass on what that brings me, like, as far as likes. We'll pass on that kind of stuff. Because, like, for me, it's more important, like, what happens, just what happens between the interaction between me and the children or, like, what they get from it. It doesn't help if we're bringing in more cameras and more all this stuff or if I had this selfish attitude. You know what I mean? It's just, like, um, this journey taught me, it, like, I have to write a book about just how much has changed me, my perspective, um, and how like I use all of that, um, in my life to kind of, it's like to put it short, it's like, I don't have to try to inspire people anymore. Really. I just am being, I'm just not afraid to be myself because I have confidence that the the man that this journey has created is genuine, is real, is raw. And that's what you're going to get. Um, And so that's easy because like, that's who I am and this is who I am. And so.
2: I think that's the secret. And I I think everyone is probably on a, hopefully, especially if they're listening to this podcast, they're probably on their own journey. And one of the words you used earlier that I just think sort of sums it up, maybe like Ricky 1.0 and Ricky 2.0 is you had mentioned the mission that you're on and you're on this mission. And one of the reasons we wanted to, have you come on is to continue to give you the exposure that you deserve because you are doing meaningful work and genuine work. And even like the guy that you, when we met, like that wasn't me, that wasn't this me, that was last me. And so like, right. When I look at the work that you're doing, it's so, it's so meaningful and it's noticeable. And so, you know, I was thinking, all right, I can't be Spider-Man cause you're Spider-Man, but like if I was going to come with you, I was like, which superhero should I dress up as and, yeah. with and look COVID-19, I put on a couple pounds. So like maybe well, I'm thinking Wreck-It Ralph is Wreck-It Ralph. Can I come as Wreck-It Ralph with you? Or maybe uh, I can, I can come as Hulk or probably Dr. Evil. I think Black Panther's off the table for me.
0: Yeah. But, like, <laughs>
1: but if i Dr. On, Evil,
2: Dr. Evil. Oh, great. We're, this is going to be a poll. We send <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, obviously I'm, I'm like half kidding because I, 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 I want to like walk with you, and I want to. Yeah. I want to. I think when you we talk about courage, but actually, like telling stories of courage makes you want to live it even more. Um, and yes, I did. Like, yeah, me in a in a suit, Spider Man. I did that. Nobody wins with me in a Spider Man
0: suit. <laughs> um, yeah, Spider Man suits t- is tough to wear. Uh, I gained. I gained 10, uh, 12 pounds from this coronavirus, you know, and then you're married, so you're comfortable. And you're like, let's get snacks. And you're like, let's chill, watch Netflix. And then after we watched every documentary known to man, because we've been in this situation for quite some time, we said, we got to change this, right? And so we we just, I, I don't know if you saw my Facebook post, but I've, I'm, I'm down the 10 pounds again. Uh, so that's good. Uh, but, but it's never, you know, Spider-Man's, uh, you know who I'm going to tell you who you could be, Brian?
2: So excited.
0: And it's and it's someone that you could pull off uh, because like your body, I'm, and I'm not, man, you're, you're sexy, man. I'm not saying anything <laughs> about this. But when I get older, I'm thinking about being this guy too, because look, I, I don't want to go to the gym like so much, like when I'm like older, trying to enjoy my life, you know what I mean? But like, I want to eat more snacks but um batman because he has armor he has armor. look at
2: this armor ryan look at this armor
0: oh and then and then and then the whole face is covered so that works
2: oh thank goodness thank goodness (laughs) you don't want to scare any (laughs) kids that's for sure hey uh ricky uh where can people follow you and 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 just give them again the just a quick update on on the foundation
0: yeah, so uh, if anyone wants to follow Heart of a Hero, that's our organization name. Uh, you know, my wife suits up as uh, Spider Gwen. I, I suit up as Spider Man. Um, and so, uh, but you, you want to just search on Facebook, you'll find us. You'll see our logo as the main picture. And then on Instagram, it's Heart of a Hero, Inc. And um, you can find me on my personal platforms uh, at just Ricky Mena. And um, yeah. Yeah you'll see the little blue, the blue check. You'll see the little blue check there. And um, yeah, I appreciate anyone who wants to help us out. Um, right now, you know, because of COVID-19, we're not able to visit children um, in person. Uh, so we're doing a lot of video chats like we're doing here. Um, and then we're sending out care packages and we're kind of just like waiting for the go ahead to, c- to come back in. So
2: Keep doing what you're doing, man. We, we are followers of you. We're believers of you. And, uh, and yeah, maybe I'll start working on my Batman suit and I'll come with
0: you on a, when we can all see kids again. It costs this man, that Batman suit costs this. It cost I thought it you're gonna, you were going to
2: just sell another car. So sell one of your cars and we'll, we'll turn the money in for, no,
0: listen, if you Ryan, seriously, uh, we're so blessed. Like heart of a hero. Is so blessed. Like, um, you know, with people who just support us, you know, want to see this happen. If you're really serious about it, uh, I'll put up, I'll put up a lot of the funds to, uh, Harvey Hill will put up a lot of the funds to, to make you Batman. If that's something that you want to do. So uh,
2: it is something I want to do. And
0: it, it maybe yeah. it'll
2: get my tail in shape. I love that. Look at that. See,
0: there you go. There so, it is.
2: Guys. For those listening, <laughs> he's, he's showing us a spite, Spider-Man outfit right now. And, uh, yeah. And hey, man, I hope I get to see you in person soon. Hopefully we can all see yeah, each
0: other soon. For sure.
2: And thanks for coming on the show, Ricky. Take care, no, man.
0: No problem. Thanks, guys.
2: Next week on The Courageous Podcast, we're joined by keynote speaker,
0: Jay Bear. If you
1: enjoyed the episode, please give us five stars, subscribe, and leave us a comment.